we're continuing our series called Practical Passages with an episode on moral integrity. Now this is different than what we looked at when we looked at Daniel and the wisdom that he offered us because today's episode is really about sexual purity and how we can work to maintain that whether we're single or married or widowed or whatever stage of life we're in. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A child of God. Here are little things we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. So in Job chapter 31, verse 1, we read this. I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. So Job said he made a covenant, an agreement with his eyes that he wasn't going to look lustfully. So the first glance that you take at somebody is usually fairly innocent. You know, someone's walking towards you or you see somebody on a screen or whatever it is, and you notice that they're attractive. No sin there. It's what you do with that after the fact. So where do you go from there that can either lead you into sin or can lead you to moral integrity? Now, just saying that isn't super helpful to me. So I'm glad that Joe made a covenant with his eyes. So, you know, what he was going to look at, he made an agreement and there's truth in that, you know, we want to be careful about what we're watching and what we're seeing and what we're allowing to come into our head. So even as I'm looking for things to watch with my teen daughters, I, you know, we avoid the rated R or if we start something up and then then the little um, warnings come on like strong sexual content or nudity or whatever, then we're like, "Uh, probably not worth watching. Or there have been times that, you know, episode one or or four or five or whatever, or even season one isn't bad. But as we get on into the seasons, then we start seeing some of that sexual nudity or whatever. And then we just fast forward through the scene. Typically, I'm the one to do it. They lock their eyes or look away or what have you. But the point is just being cognizant of what you're allowing yourself to see. With women, it's a little different too. I have to say that women, yes, we have to watch what we are watching, but I think it's also important we watch what we're reading because a lot of things that we read, especially novels, can take us down that same path and it's our imagination that is you know, making the pictures that go with the words. And so we have to be careful about what we're reading and allowing to come into our head too. And what we're doing with that um, picture after, after we see it, whether it's something we're reading in the imagination or if it's something we're replaying in our mind or if we're just going back over it, whatever. So One of the passages that has been crucial to me, so I introduced you to Job and what Job said, and he made an agreement, and I think that's really important to be careful of what you're allowing yourself to see and what you're allowing yourself to read and hear and all that. 
But one of the passages that actually has been crucial for me in this area to really help me with moral purity is from 1 Timothy 5. So verse 1 says this, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, by the way. Timothy was a younger pastor, and the Apostle Paul was giving him this great advice that said, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him, that means to you know urge or encourage someone, as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. This has really been what I use to keep my mind where it's supposed to be. So whoever I'm talking to, when I was at the nursing home, I looked at those people as either my my father's or my mother's, and I tried to treat them like that. If there are people that I'm working with that are around my age, I try to look at them as my brothers or my sisters. And then when it comes to young people, so when it's my children or their friends, or when I was teaching Sunday school or youth group or whatever, I treated those, those children as my children. And so I think when you're, if you're able to do that, whoever you're looking at, if you look at that person in that context, that they are either your father, your brother, or your son, you are much less likely to let your mind go anywhere from there. I just can't. When I'm thinking of someone in the context of my brother, I I don't go anywhere sexually with them because I don't want to think about that with my brother. And so keeping that in the forefront of my mind, that everyone I'm talking to is either a brother or sister in Christ a son or daughter in Christ or a mother or father in Christ has just been something that really works for me to keep me where I'm supposed to be. I need to, I don't need to, but I really want to talk to you just super briefly because I think a lot of this comes from our own marriages. And when we're not really watering and taking care of our own marriages, we're much more likely to let our minds go somewhere else when we're looking at someone else or reading about someone else. So Pastor Mike had this excellent book. It was called God's Blueprint for a Happy Home. And I had a chance to read it this fall and really dive into it and study it really well because I was doing some publicity for it. And he talked about the five things that lead to an affair. And typically, the first thing is deprivation. So there's some sort of deprivation in your marriage that leads you to find attraction elsewhere. And then intention. So now that you find somebody attractive, you are intentionally seeking them. You want to get their attention. You want to watch them. You want to send an email to get that response, which leads to emotion. So there's now an emotional connection of some sort, which leads to a physical connection. And if we're honest about this, I mean, there are phases of all of our marriages that have deprivation in them. There's times when, you know, either the the wife or the husband is really busy at work or really busy with the children or really busy with aging parents 
or whatever, and you don't have the same amount of time that you do otherwise. And it's, it's important to recognize that deprivation and make sure that you can combat that somehow. So even if it is a super, super trying time in your marriage, just because you have, you know, a a wayward son or daughter or a sick son or daughter that requires a lot of help right now, it's important to make that time to have that connection, to fill each other up to, even if it's just a lunch hour where you can, you know, talk and, and have that emotional connection, or if you can set time aside and get a babysitter so you can be together, whatever it is that you can do to make sure that your marriage is a priority, even at a really challenging time, just recognizing that there's deprivation there. And when there is that deprivation there, and if, if you really are struggling at a point where, you know, like say you have a child in the hospital and there's just no way that you can get away, you pray pray through that and pray and ask God to, to help you stay strong, um, together to do the little things, to send the text, send the phone call or make a phone call, write a note before, you know, scribble a note to your husband or, or your wife before you head out to the hospital. Just, I'm thinking about you and I can't wait till we can spend time together again or what have you. The grass is always greener where it's watered and fed. And so instead of spending our time and energy pursuing a path that we shouldn't be pursuing. So if you're looking at someone and you're thinking they're very attractive and then you start thinking about, I wonder what it would be like to be married to that person. And you go down that path instead of focusing on what's in front of you. So whatever it is in your marriage that you have going on, that you recognize the deprivation, just recognize it right now and start to work on it. If you're looking at your husband and he's sitting on the couch eating chips at night and you're thinking that is not even remotely attractive, well, what can you do? What can you do to encourage him to a different lifestyle so that he is more attractive to you? Could you take a walk together? Could you join the gym together? Could you start making healthy snacks? One of the things that I love to do is look up high protein, low sugar snacks and I make them and some of them are really good. Some of them aren't so good, but is that something that you could do to sort of help him get out of the chip and TV cycle? And, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of changing scenery So last fall, we, our family went to Alaska and while we were there, we climbed a mountain. And I say that very loosely because we didn't summit the mountain. We didn't get to the very top. We were about a mile, 1.2 miles from the top. When we gave up, we had had enough. But afterwards, my husband said, you know, I really, I really want to get in better shape because we we both worked on our on our feet a lot, but it's not the same muscles that you use for climbing, clearly. And so, you know, we were just talking about how important it is for us. We love to travel. We love to take our kids with us and travel. And now that we're getting in this middle age and, and beyond middle age phase, you know, we're going to have to work at it. 
if we're going to stay in shape so that we can do these things. We want to be able to climb a mountain with our children when we go on vacation. So that might mean joining a gym or it might just mean hiking in our spare time on the weekend instead of, you know, finding something sedentary to do. So anytime that you get those chances, whether it is that you've been on vacation or I love to just introduce subjects with questions. So I think it's a great idea to ask your spouse, you know, what are some things that you'd really like to do in the next year? Or if money wasn't an object, where would you love to go? What would you love to do before we're too old to do it? Or if you had a chance to live anywhere, where would you live? Or if you could do anything to this house to change it, what would it be? If you could drive any car, what would you want to drive and why? And just those questions that really help you to probe your spouse's heart and mind and what they're thinking um, is super helpful. And, and when you come across those things, like I would really love to travel with you. I'd like to go see, you know, Puerto Rico, or I, I'd love to go to Africa, or you know what I've always wanted to do? I've always wanted to go to Iceland. And when you have those conversations, that's the perfect time to say, you know what? Let's do it. And if we're going to go to Iceland, then let's make sure we're in shape so we can do all the things that we want to do while we're there. So do you want to start walking at night or do you want to join the gym or do you want to ride bike? What, what would you like to do to get in shape? And just the act of getting in shape together can bond you can, you know, if you're taking walks together, then you're going to be walking and talking and getting closer together while you're getting the exercise. And so those are just little things that you can do to maybe just instead of whirling in your deprivation, face your deprivation, face the fact that there is a lacking in your marriage that you notice and that you don't like and that you would like to amend and then see how you can do it. Now, I talked about the physical side about of things. What about if your husband isn't much of a conversationalist and you really are not seeing the emotional connection that you need? And this is a problem for some women. So I'm going to tell you what Dr. Dobson said years ago. I used to listen to Focus on the Family pretty regularly, and it really helped me in my early years of marriage and parenting. But one of the things he said is a lot of times men cannot fill a woman's emotional needs. If you find those men who love to listen and love to talk, it's kind of a rarity. Most men, they have their limit. And that's why it's so important that we have girlfriends and that we do make time for the coffee or have going for a walk or doing things with our girlfriends so that we can get that emotional connection that we might not get with our husband. It is so important. And that's something that because Dr. Dobson said that years and years ago, I've always made a point to work on my friendships with with my friends, people who I want in my life. It's a matter of making time for coffee or a phone call or a Zoom or lunch or a walk. You know, if you can get two things done at once. So if you can hang out with your friends and get exercise, it's win-win. 
So it's so important to do that. And then when you come home and you've talked about all the things that your kids are going through or the things that are bugging you with your friends, and ideally you've prayed about them too, then you don't expect so much from your husband. And it's not a big deal if he doesn't engage in the conversation that you want him to engage in because you've already had the conversation. So then you're not expecting as much from him. And then you're not worn out and weary from the fact that you're not getting it. So that's been super helpful to me. And maybe it will help you too. And the last thing I want to talk about, which probably should have been the first thing, is just the importance of prayer. Understanding and knowing that God is for your marriage. So when you pray specifically for your marriage and for the success of your marriage, when you pray to be emotionally tied to your spouse, when you pray to be on the same page, when you pray because you're not sexually where you want to be, if you're not enjoying sex or if you're not having sex very frequently and you're seeing this as a problem or what have you, pray about it. God is for your marriage and he loves, he knows anyway. So if you're, if you're like, I couldn't pray about that, God already knows. God already knows where you're struggling. So this isn't like a big <gasps> to him. He created you. He knows you and he's for your marriage. So why would you not pray to him about the issues that you're having in your marriage? He would far, far, far rather see and hear you praying about your marriage than having you lust after somebody else that in your mind, you've made them out to be the perfect husband and the perfect spouse. So instead of dealing with the issues that you're having, you're just imagining what life could be like with this person. God doesn't want that. That lusting, Jesus said, is committing adultery in your heart. So God doesn't want us sinning. He doesn't want us sinning against the sixth commandment. He would much rather have us going to him in prayer and saying, God, I'm really struggling with this emotional attachment with my husband. He feels very closed off, shut down right now, and I need more. So help me to know how to talk to him. And if I need to get more through my relationships with the women at work or other women in my life, then show me how I can do that. Help me to see the the point in my schedule that, that I can have this. And, you know, I'm just going to say, I think it's so important. I have several friends who are widows and they, they were widowed. My mother-in-law was a widow at 65 years old and she's lived 18 years now since becoming widowed. And so she would say to, to, it's really important. She spent a lot of time with her husband. They went out every Friday with another couple every Friday for as long as I knew them. They went out to eat with another couple and that other couple, the man ended up dying three weeks after my father-in-law died. And now those two widows have continued to go out every Friday, but she would encourage me to not let your female friendships suffer. Don't put them off because in a lot of, in a lot of cases, statistically, men die earlier than women and you could end up being a widow and to build those friendships up. You don't have to start looking for friends after the fact, if you already have friends in your life that are hopefully Christians committed, you know, and they're going to help you and encourage you and, and see you through. 
And I know for my mother-in-law, that's been a huge, huge blessing in her life. And I've heard that same from other people as well. And I just want to get back super briefly to the to the prayer thing, because you might say, Amber, I've prayed for my marriage and I haven't seen the answers. I want to go to the book of Matthew where Jesus tells us this, this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. So that was in Matthew 7, verse 7. I love the commentary from the People's Bible. I have used it so much that actually I'm going to show you my book is falling apart. I have this book. <laughs> I have this book paper clipped to other pages because it would fall out if I didn't. Um, I should probably just buy a new book at this point. But listen to the commentary about this passage. Ask, seek, knock are present imperatives. In the Greek, so the precise meaning is that we are to keep on asking and seeking and knocking. We are to pray without ceasing, without giving up, and with increased intensity. Seeking is more aggressive than simply asking, and knocking is like going to someone's house in the middle of the night, rousing them out of bed to provide for your needs. So God expects us to keep praying. You didn't get the answer once? Great. Keep going to him. We're given the account of the widow with the unmerciful judge who boldly keeps going back and and saying, no, I need help against my adversary. We're given the account of the Canaanite woman whose daughter was demon possessed. And, you know, Jesus ignored her. She was crying out. Jesus just kept walking and she kept crying out. And the disciples were like, just send her away. We can't take this. Just get her away. And Jesus said, look, I I came for the lost sheep in Israel. And she knelt down before him and said, Lord, I need help. And he said, it's not right to give the bread to the dogs. And she said, no, but even the dogs get the crumbs. And he said, woman, you have great faith. Your daughter will be healed. And she was at that very moment. If you read the account, I just recently have read through the book, the books of Exodus and Numbers. And as you read about Moses and his relationship with God, Moses prays boldly. He says, like, you have to come with us. I can't do this on my own. And God says, okay, my presence will go with you. And and then Moses says, now show me your glory. I'm like, where did that come from? And would I have that kind of boldness to be like, okay, God, that's, that's awesome. You're going to come with me. Show me your glory. I want to see more of you. I want to see what you're really about. And even God was like, Moses, you can't see that and live, but I will hide you in the cleft of a rock. I will walk past you. And then you can see, you know, as I pass, you can see the back of me and just that boldness. Don't stop praying about your marriage. Okay. You haven't you haven't had an answer, keep on day and night. Okay, God, he's still not changing. What can I do? Show me how I can love him well in order to make him want to change. What can I do to help him? How can I motivate him, Lord? What can I do to help us get more sexually um, sexually fulfilled in our marriage? What can I do, Lord, so that we can have this? Where can I go? What are the Christian podcasts? By the way, I'm going to offer you Dr. Julie Slatterly is a Christian psychologist 
who works in the area of sex. So she works specifically Christian men and women. If you're having problems, definitely look into her. Look into her books, look into her podcasts. She has phenomenal advice about men and women. What can you do? What, what are things that are maybe tripping you up? Um, there's, a, there's a whole slew of Christian podcasts. I sent uh, Brandon Lake and his wife, and I forget her name. I think it's Brooke. Brooke and Brandon Lake had a very open conversation about sex, pornography. He had struggled with pornography and relationships and um, their dating life and how he said, you know, the later it got and the more he was hanging out with her on the couch, he just couldn't stay pure. You know, that was just a, a real thing for them. They were they were spending the night together without having sex. And it was like, man, I, I'm struggling here. And uh, just a super open, vulnerable conversation that I thought was very helpful. There was a couple things that I was like, ooh, um, they're young in their marriage. And that's, that's pretty apparent. Just wait, guys. But there too. I mean, I, I applaud them for their transparency and vulnerability and um, addressing an issue that a lot of people don't talk about. So there are some good Christian podcasts. There are some good Christian uh, books and literature out there that can help you in, in terms of building up your, your relationship. So instead of looking at someone else, instead of lusting after somebody else, instead of creating a whole scenario in your mind about what it might be like to marry somebody else, work on your marriage, deal with your stuff. And when you do, you are bound to be happier. You're actually building up your own marriage and, and then you're having what quite honestly, God intended for you to have. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. <laughs>